And whether you're here in the room or you're at home, uh, one of the things that's reality is it's easy to get lost in the frame-by-frame scenes of life. And yet, uh, the big picture that is there is, is, is all around. And we get lost in seeing the scenes of the moment. And we do that at Christmas. And so here before we actually come in, today is going to be the arrival of Emmanuel. Actually, today, Jesus is born. Okay, um, And before we get into the text on that, I actually want us to spend a little time with the big picture. Uh, just a few moments here with the big picture. And I want to do that because there's this way about us that when we kind of get into the scene of life, the frames of life, we lose sight of the whole story of what's going on. And... Um, When we do that, we tend to just dabble as opposed to dig. When we see the whole story, there's a far more tendency for us to dive in and dig in. And we don't want to be a dabbling with Jesus Church, right? We don't want to be that. We don't want to be a digging in with Jesus Church. And so if we're going to dig into the manger, just a couple minutes here of the story. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens the earth. That's an amazing thing. And in fact, in Colossians 1, we are reminded that the agent of the divine Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, Colossians chapter 1, was actually the agent of creation. For by him all things were made, through him all things were made, all things were made by him and for him and through Jesus Christ. Hey friends, the agent of creation lies in an animal trough. Genesis 3. Adam and Eve's sin, the fall. Um, God steps in, the Lord steps in and has a conversation first uh, talking with Satan. And in his conversation talking to Satan, he makes mention that there will be one that will be coming, born of a woman, who will be bruised by you, but will deal you a lethal blow. Hey, friends, the lethal blow one was born in the manger. And in fact, that's really important because the manger scene is not just a comfy, cozy scene. It's not just a warm evening kind of a scene. It's not even just this idea of just family gathering together, which is a wonderful thing to do in all the Christmas events that go on and take place. But understand, Christ coming in, actually going back to Genesis 3, Christ is confronting Satan and going to deal Satan a lethal blow. Actually, the manger is a very confrontive reality. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, written some 700 years before the manger, before Christ is born. And it says, Isaiah says, one will be wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, oppressed and afflicted like a lamb led to slaughter. That's kind of gruesome. That's actually quite vivid. And know this, the one that will be led to the slaughter is born at Christmas. Let's go to the end of the story. Revelation chapter 5. 
Revelation 5, and the question John is asking as he's there in the heavenly throne is, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the seven seals? No one is worthy. No one in heaven, no one on earth. No one is worthy. And John begins to weep because who will bring in the culmination of the finality of what's taking place now in redemptive history? And then an angel says, oh, John, don't cry because there is one. And in it, it's this epic movie scene-like thing. You can hear the music where Tom and boom, 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 gladiator, like coming in next to the throne. He's the one who is worthy, who has been slain. That is the one that was born in the tiny little manger. We could go to Revelation 19. The agent of creation, the the dealer of the lethal blow to Satan, the despised and the rejected one, the only one worthy to take the scroll and implement the culmination of the last days, who in Revelation 19 is the coming rider on the white horse who is named Faithful and True. Bom, 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 giddy up. (laughs) Who's riding that horse? One in the manger. And then lastly, Revelation 21. We're in the eternal state. And it says in there that the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. It says there is no need of sun or moon to provide light because it is lit up by the one that was born in the manger. Hey, friends, this manger event... It is warm and wonderful, but when you see the big picture, it is epic. Epic, epic, epic. And so let's go to this epic event, and let's spend a little time to dig in. Let's not dabble with it. Let's, let's dig into it. And so God, I ask for your help as we dig in as a people that we would see what is taking place here, not even just in the moments of the manger scene, but in the grandness of the manger scene. Lord, you have a big story that you are working out, and we are a part of that. Help us to see the story. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We are walking our way through Luke chapter 1 and 2. Last Sunday, we met three individuals. We met uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary. Today, we're kind of meeting a few more. Uh, Baby John, he's not going to talk. Baby Jesus, he's actually not going to talk. But we also meet Joseph in this. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, Luke is telling what's happening around the manger in those. Look at the first four words of verse 57. First four words of 57, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, now the time came. It's easy just to read right on past that. But when you understand the whole big story of things, Genesis 1, Genesis 3, Isaiah 53, even the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, even what we talked about last week with Zechariah and the temple and God coming in and God with Mary and Elizabeth and the whole thing, and it's like, boom, 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 now's the time. Now's the time with what's going on. When will the, the Genesis 3 one come? When will the Isaiah 53 one come? Well, now is the time for the one who's going to announce him 
It's coming, friends. It's coming. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. I mean, remember, Elizabeth is like in her 60s. This is a God event that Zachariah and Elizabeth had a child. And they're rejoicing in this. Verse 59, and on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, uh, no, 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 no. We're not gonna name him Zachariah. He shall be called John. And they said here, but, 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 all those stutters, they're in there. But, 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 but none of your relatives is called by this name. Well, what's going on here? Well, in that day, the tradition was that the firstborn son would take on the name of the father or a family name that they had that was kind of carrying on through. John is their firstborn son. So they're going through these traditional processes. It's the eighth day, and this is when kind of the official naming of the child, and, and, uh, and they're all thinking, well, it's going to be Zachariah. And Elizabeth is like, no, uh, I vote John. Uh, by the way, John means Jehovah is gracious. How cool is that? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. It means Jehovah is gracious. And apparently, John doesn't fit either of the paradigms of either named by the father or named by the family. But it does fit the paradigm as given by the angel last Sunday, verse 13. The angel in the temple telling Zechariah, you're going to have a child, and to name it John. Save that whole book naming process thing of going on. And here they come, and Elizabeth says, John, we're going to name him John. And they're all like, what? By the way, one sad human reality is going on in here. Don't miss it. Humans will rejoice. And a moment later, they will push back. One minute we rejoice, the next minute we get critical. It's just so sadly human nature. Uh, But the Lord is stepping into our world. Verse 62 And they made signs to his father, Zechariah, inquiring uh, what he wanted him to be called. (laughs) Hey, parents, remember when your kids were like, you know, they'd come to mom, hey, mom, can I have a candy bar? Mom's like, no. And they're like, mom said no. Dad, dad, can I have a candy bar? Uh, Remember, Karen and I kind of figured that out after a little while. What did your mom say? (laughs) because me and her, we're a team. We're not against you, we're for you, but we're a team. There's a whole Zachariah and Elizabeth team thing that's taking place here. Why is Zachariah not speaking? Again, reminder from last Sunday, he's in the temple, he's giving the incense offering, and the angel shows up and and says, you're going to have a child, and and Zachariah's like, what? Say, what with this? What's going on with this? And, And really, as I pressed last week, and I pressed last week for the part of what's going on here in the text as well, is that Zachariah's pushback on the angel was not so much like, how, like, but we're 60 years old, man. It wasn't that as much as, wait, that can't be. He was pushing back on the very capability of the promise rather than the how would the promise come about. And here we come in here, we're at that time, God said, okay, uh, uh, Zachariah, we're going to zip your lip for a little while here because might I say this, church, as we just went through the book of James, because uh, God allows tests to be trials, or trials to be tests of our faith. 
And tests of our faith are to build steadfastness in us. And when steadfastness is compounded in us, it builds maturity in us. And God is more thrilled about our maturity than even our comfort. God loves our maturity. And in this time, it's been like 10 months of Zechariah with a zipped lip, and I wonder what's going on in his head in it. But they turn to him and they go, hey, Zechariah, what do you say about uh, the name of your child? Verse 63, and he asks for a writing tablet, like, anyone got an iPad? I'm sure they had him in that day. And wrote his name, again, you're writing this out. I mean, this is the tension. His name. Name is John. And they all wondered. Like, you guys are old. You're losing it, man. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about. They were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. They were talked about uh, all who heard with all who heard them, uh, laid them up in their hearts, saying, "What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him." This is so cool. The very item that the Lord was uh, 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 testing, might I say, trialing uh, uh, Zechariah with, kind of as a, hey, Zechariah, I'm going to teach you that I've got this by zipping your lip for a while. The very thing that the discipline that God put in Zechariah's life for him to learn and mature out of ends up being the very thing that God ends up using through Zechariah to be a blessing to the Lord. Friends, oftentimes we think discipline is a really bad thing. But the Lord has a way of even using our discipline in life from him as a way to bring glory ultimately to him. And all of a sudden at this moment, then Zechariah's mouth opens and he's able to speak. And I love the fact that it said, blessing God. We don't even know exactly what Zechariah said. But we know this, God was like, loving that. Ah, Zechariah, keep speaking that, buddy. I am taking that in. Love that. And all who are around as well, they're hearing it. And they're hearing and seeing everything that's going on. And they're asking this question. This is the million dollar question. What then will this child John be? Great question. Great question. That's the question that they should be asking. And I'm curious. Did they get their question answered? Did they get their question answered? Observation. Over the years of my life, both in, in, in uh, um, lay world as well as in vocational ministry world, uh, many show dabbling curiosity with things. Few dig into things. We are, have a tendency to just float on the surface of stuff and not dive in. I mean, if it is true, if it is true that the second person of the Trinity, that deity was born in the manger, that John was the one coming before to announce deity in the manger, oh my goodness, friends, no dabbling with that. That is deep. That is epic. That is crazy more than warm, cozy, fuzzy Christmas fire Yule log thing. All that's wonderful. 
but this is epic. And they're asking the right question. Who then is John going to be? Did they go and dig in? Matthew 7, many will call me Lord, Lord, Jesus said, but I will say, I never knew you. Why? Because many dabble with God, few dig in. Verse 63, his name is John, love that, teeming with his wife. And then he speaks, blessing God. By the way, John doesn't go, oh, oh, it's about time I can talk. No bad attitude here. Nothing like, by the way, everybody, I've been hearing everything you've been saying, and now that I can talk, I'm going to roar. None of that. He's just talking what God would have him speak. Friends, don't miss what's happening here. More of the text in Luke about the birth of Christ has to do with the people around the birth than the actual birth. It's revealing what's going on in people's lives. Let's pick up because Zechariah's now got his voice going and he's going to speak. Verse 67 and following, it's Zechariah's prophecy. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, did you just notice that? The text all of a sudden made a pivot turn. It's not Zechariah and his son, John. Now the focus is on John, his father, Zechariah. There's a big turn point was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying this, verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our fathers Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before uh, uh, him all our days. Verse 76, and you, child, talking to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us, the light of Christ shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah sees the frame of the birth of John. But did you notice, did you pick up? He's actually making reference to the whole story from before John to after John. Having the whole story in view, even for Zechariah, makes the moment have sense to it. And in this, he's bringing in this, this Old Testament imagery He's depicting this kind of uh, large group, this large army of people about to be taken captive, but help arrives, and the enemy is defeated, and the captives are set free, and there is total victory. By the way, in verse 69 there, the word for salvation, it carries this sense of of health uh, and soundness, that no matter the condition of the captives, the Redeemer brings them spiritual soundness. Looking for soundness in your life? That's what Christ brings. Hope-filled, big-picture words is what Zechariah is speaking here. Note, just a few things are noted about John. Verse 76, John will be called the prophet of the Most High. End of 76, John will go before and prepare. 
John is the voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Messiah. Verse 77, John will give knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Verse 79, John, Jesus, will give light to those who sit in darkness and death and will guide feet into the way of peace. Man, a lot of information is given here. Question, did they get their questions answered? Did they go, hmm, who is this child going to be? And then walk away satisfied by asking a question? Or I wonder if they hung around and listened to what Zechariah just had to say. Because if they listened to what Zechariah just had to say, and if they dug into what Zechariah just had to say, friends, they would realize who John was and why it was such a pinnacle, epic moment in time. Many dabble, few dig. Verse 80, and the child grew, John, and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of the public appearance of Israel. It's really interesting how in one sentence God can pass over three decades, because that's what just happened there. Next time we're going to meet John, 30 years later-ish. Hey, let me just note this. Time is not intimidating to God. God is not bound by time, held by time, and time is not God's enemy. God's got it. He's going to come right on time. Always, 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 always right on time, even if it's 30 years later. So the one before the promised one has arrived, and now the promised one is, arrives. Verse 1, chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. You're familiar with that and hearing that at Christmas time. A couple things here. Caesar Augustus, born Gaius Octavius Thorinus. He's the grandnephew, later adopted son and designated heir of Julius Caesar. Caesar Augustus was seen as the sole leader of the Roman world. Uh, he was given honor more as a god than as a human. In fact, in that day, there was an ancient inscription that said this, quote, Divine Augustus Caesar, son of a god, imperator or victorious general, victorious general of land and seas, the benefactor, listen to this, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. Really? Man, man can be cocky. How we think we're just so awesome at times. And it's not just him, it's us as well. And how ironic that the Godhead decided to have the true divine Savior put his feet on earth in a time when the ruler of the world was called the divine Savior. God had to just be sitting there going, you know what, I gotta admit, this is funny. This is ironic. Uh, the timing of the Lord is crazy. Verses two and three. Uh, this was the first registration when Mr. Q, I, first, first service, I tried to say the name, I listened to it five times online, 
and I still can't get it right. So just straight with you and online, go to Mr. Q when you can't pronounce a name. When Mr. Q was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town, the registration. Uh, This is really another neat sovereign God thing. Rome took a census every 14 years. Every 14 years. Friends, that means that the timing of things was such that Micah 5.2, the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary are 80 miles north of Bethlehem. And to have Micah 5 to accomplish, to have Jesus born in Bethlehem, it's timed by God, which happens every 14 years, that everyone is to go to their homestead and to report their name, their family name, their career, uh, and any property that they would have. And God sovereignly times it such that on the census, they're moved to Bethlehem so that Jesus can be born to fulfill Micah 5.2. Verses 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. I've already made mention it's 80 miles and the registration Ladies, um, I'm telling you, bless her heart. She is very pregnant and 80 miles. No car, no bus, no train. (laughs) Camel, donkey, fully pregnant. Props, Mary. By the way, can you just imagine some of those conversations, husband? You know? Okay, I won't. I don't know what they were like. Think of Joseph. It's interesting. Luke doesn't tell us a whole lot about Joseph in this, but Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew does. Matthew tells us that the Lord comes along and gets Joseph on the program. Guys, can you imagine? You're engaged, and you find out that your fiancé is pregnant, and you know it's not you. But God shows up. And Joseph gets on board with it. This is a young couple. Props to you kids. Props to you kids. And yet God is at work. A little bit about Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about five, six miles south of Jerusalem. I remember years ago when we were over there and we were standing across from Jerusalem and you kind of, if you've been there, you know, you can kind of look out at Jerusalem and see it here and and Bethlehem is off right over here. And it's only five or six miles. You can actually see it on a a nice day. Um, Bethlehem was once called uh, Ephrath or Ephrathah until conquered by Joshua. It had no major roads running to it. Made the ride a little more interesting. It was a place where Jacob buried Rachel. 
It was where Ruth met Boaz. It was where David tended sheep and thus called the city of David. Bethlehem means house of bread. By the way, how cool is that? The bread of life was born at the house of bread. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn (laughs) while they were there. There could be so many interesting things we could talk about with the there of the birth. Like the there of the being no room in the inn. The there of, was it a barn? Or was it a cave? Or was it actually under a house? Actually, three uh, options that all three are considered and talked about. Or did baby Jesus glow? There. I'm being silly. Or did the animals smile? I'm actually not being silly there. I'm just going to tell you, friends, I would not be surprised if they were. And was a little drummer boy there, being silly with that. But uh, those aren't the important things of the there. The important thing of the there is who was born there and the lowliness of the born there. Here is this betrothed, poor, no-name, divinely pregnant teen from what was viewed by much of Israel as an unkosher part of Israel, giving birth to the promised Messiah, the Genesis 1-1, Isaiah 53 Who is born there is epic. The Revelation 5 1. The Revelation 19 1. The one who in the future eternity, Revelation 21, will have no need of sun because that one will light it up out of his glory. That one was born there. And, and not in an emperor's room. In a very low place. The agent of creation, incarnation, means his crib was an animal trough. The creator of all things stepped into our broken world to provide for us to be unbroken through his work, born in what animals stick their face in and munch up. Seriously, friends, that is epic. By the way, he is the Philippians 2-1. 
who though he was in the form of God, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. He was born in an animal trough. He died as a crucified, humiliation, murderous on a cross. Epic. But one day, Philippians 2, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the God of the Father. Willingly leaving the beauty of the throne room of heaven to step into this broken world in order to enter into our junk to pay the price for our junk, making his payment available to all who are junked for redemption. Epic. Absolutely epic. Sometimes I don't think we keep in mind the uniqueness of what Scripture says about God stepping into our world. You see, the gods of Greek and Roman mythology would never have done this. Never. Early this year, I was reading a book by Philip Freeman on the uh, uh, Greek and Roman gods. He's talking in the beginning about creation, according to mythology. He says this, Zeus held a council of the gods to decide what to do about these troublesome humans. That's the view of the mythology gods. After much debate, he decided to cut them in half. You gotta read it. It's bizarre. Zeus reasoned that this would make them less of a threat, as well as doubling the number of people who could offer them sacrifices. You see, mythology gods view humans as troublesome and a potential threat. He goes on later in the book, he says this, but by whatever names they were called, the gods still ruled the universe and played their endless games with the life of mortals. Uh, Not the God of Scripture. For God so loved us, that he stepped into our world, born to pay the price for you and me, with his crib being an animal trough. Boom. Oh, by the way, it's not just the Greek mythology. It's Islam as well. You see, this stepping in, what Jesus did, is inconceivable in Islam theology. Nabil Qureshi, who passed just a year or so ago, I was with the Lord, I was a Muslim who tells his story of coming to Christ. If you haven't read find, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, you need to. He says in this, he says, when people gloss over Christianity and Islam as if they were the same, they overlook this fundamental fact. Jesus was a very different place in Christianity than Muhammad was has in Islam. Deity is distinct from prophethood. In other words, 
Islam does not believe that Jesus was deity. He was just a prophet. Oh, friends, they are drastically different. And then he makes a statement. The Quran explicitly says that Allah remains behind a, a veil. So Muslim conceive, Muslims conceive of God as a being who does not enter this world. God would never enter this dirty world. But know this, friends. There is an epic event that took place in Luke chapter 2 where God steps into our place. And it's epic. And he arrived. And it is no something small to dabble with. John 6, and then I'll close. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. (laughs) The bread of life, born in the house of bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Many dabble. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him, I will raise her up on the last day. Who will this child be? I wonder if they got their question answered. Because it was all available to them. Let me ask you. Are you dabbling with Jesus? Or digging in? Because the event of the manger scene, as well as the cross scene, are epic, epic, epic events to dig into. Let's not dabble this Christmas. Let's dig in. Let's pray. I'm just going to ask for a moment with your heads bowed. What about you? Where are you at with this? And I mean seriously. When you hear of the accounts of the truths of Christ, does it get a big yawn? When you see the manger scene, is it void of the whole story? Just given a respectful nod? Many visit the arrival of Emmanuel this Christmas and give it just a salute, a props, a warm, touchy vibe. But friend... The manger scene is absolutely epic. Don't miss it. Has there been a time in your life where you've come and driven the stake in the ground and received Christ as your Savior? If not, get with someone. Talk. Those at home, what a great opportunity today to talk. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. 
We look forward to even these coming weeks of just looking at the adoration of Emmanuel, the acceptance of Emmanuel. And yet today we are just kind of uh, placing ourselves in this point in time to where we're looking at the arrival. God with us. Epic. Capture us. If there is anyone who is dabbling God, I pray you would just love on them that they would want to dig in and get with someone. Epic. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Christ's name.